recently I read of a man who had just relocated his home to uh, Minnesota, and it was in the dead of winter. Now, Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes and is known for its wonderful fishing. And here was a man who had just relocated to Minnesota in the dead of winter, had never fished before and thought this would be a great opportunity to do and had always looked forward to because you hear such glowing stories of what it would be like to go ice fishing. So this man set out one particular day to go out and do some ice fishing, never had done it before, but he found what looked like a suitable spot, cut a hole in the ice, dropped his line in, sat there and froze for about 30 minutes, didn't get a nibble, didn't catch a thing, and finally he hears this voice, and this voice says, there are no fish down there. So he kind of looked around and didn't see anybody, so he moved about, oh, another 40, 50 feet away, dug a hole, put his line in it, sat another 30 minutes, freezing to death, didn't catch a thing, didn't get a nibble. Here's what sounds like the same voice and says, there are no fish down there. He moves again and does it again. Finally, here's the same voice and the voice says, there are no fish down there. And the man looks up and he says, are you God? And the voice says, no, but I do own the ice, I do own the ice skating rink that you're trying to fish on. You know, sometimes you hear stories like that. True story, too. Sometimes you hear stories like that, and it makes you, you know, it reminds, it reminds me of, of me. I mean, and, and sometimes I'm sure it reminds you of you, but there are often times in life where we think we know the answers to certain questions, only we find out we really don't. We think we have the answers, we think we know what we're doing, and we find out we really don't. And I think that in the area of finances, it's probably one of those areas where many of us have, uh, have grown up believing that we understand certain financial principles or we're taught certain things. Uh, maybe we've gone to uh, um, colleges that have taught uh, basic principles of finance and some of us even have gone through and got MBAs and we think we understand all there is to know about finances. And then we find out that, you know what, God's ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts and his ideas are so higher than our ideas. And, and, and we, begin to, we, we begin to be challenged by the fact that, you know what, some of us are, are, you know, trying to ice fish on a skating rink. And we need to deal with that. And we need to come to grips with that. And we need to understand that, you know, God wants to free us from that. Uh, one of the questions that was asked a couple of weeks ago when we, were, when we were together was found in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, turn there to Matthew chapter 6. And look at verses 19 through 24 again as we are reminded of the question that was asked at this particular time that I believe that some of us think we have the answers for and maybe we really don't. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, there's an interesting question that's raised in this particular context. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, wrath nor, nor, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the question that was raised the last time we were here was that do you love God 
or do you love money? Do you love God, or better yet, do you love the God of money? Because that's really the issue that's being addressed. And he says that it's impossible to love both. You can't love God, and you can't love money at the same time. Because one will take the place of the other, and one's going to be in conflict with the other. And as we'll see as we go through this, it's a very real question that each of us needs to address in this area of finances in our life. You know, in the Ten Commandments, as recorded in Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment is what? Anybody? Still know what they are. I know we're not allowed to hang them up anymore in courthouses, you know, and in schools, but, you know, they still exist whether we take them down from the walls or not. Does anybody know what the first commandment is? Right, 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 right. That is right. Exactly. Right, 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 right. What, the first commandment is what? I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The order of priorities. I'm the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. Now, Jesus later on reiterated this truth when he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He was asked the question, you know, there were, there were 600 and some laws that were codified in the Jewish laws, and one, one particular person came to Jesus one day and said, you know, we've got all these laws and all these commandments, and man, I mean, there's a whole long list of them. And he said, can you simplify it for me and just tell me what is the single most greatest commandment? Number one, out of all these laws that we're trying to obey and follow, and all these things that we, that we read and see and what we're, you know, we're subject to, what is the single greatest commandment? And Jesus answering that question quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and he said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. This is the great and foremost commandment. You know, and as I thought about that response, what it boils down to in simple terms is this. Nothing or no one should, be, should come before your relationship with God. Period. That's the single greatest and foremost commandment. Nothing or no one should come before your relationship with God. Simplifies everything. God's number one. Everything else falls into line after that. Everything else and everybody else falls in line after that. Single and greatest commandment. So as we're thinking about this, I guess the question is, how can I know if my priorities are out of order? And what we're trying to look at is the symptoms that we started to discuss and that there are some signs or conditions or symptoms that, you know what, things are out of order in our life. Things are out of order. You know, God isn't coming first in my life, and the way that I know he's not is because there are some signs or some symptoms or some conditions of a greater problem, and the greater problem is, is that, you know what, my priorities are messed up. Now, some of us think that we love God and that God comes first. And that money and material things fall somewhere far down the list. If I would ask you right now and ask you what your order of priorities are in life or what's the greatest priority in your life, you know, now you know the answer and say, we well, you know what, God comes first. Well, and then maybe, maybe my spouse. And then maybe our children. And then, you know, maybe uh, oh, church or, or, or doing stuff, you know, that, that it's good stuff. Or then business, maybe somewhere down here. I mean, that, that would be the list of priorities that we would come up with if we were asked that question. But in reality, how do we know if that's really true? We say the right stuff. 
but what we do often contradicts the things that we say. And that's why it's so important in life that we evaluate one another based on our actions and not based upon our words. Our words should validate our actions, but we've got a problem in our culture today, and it's pretty obvious, and I don't think it needs to be pointed out too clearly, but we've got a problem in our culture today where we are buying words that are being said and we're laying aside all the objective evidence of the actions that are actually taking place. You know, and, and, and it's just wrong. See, and God's not sucked in by all of that. He, he's not fooled by the fact that you or I say, oh yeah, God, I love you and you come first in my life. Because what Jesus said is, hey, look, you know what? If you really love God and God really comes first in your life, then you'll obey my commandments. You'll do as I ask you to do. And your actions will speak louder than the words that you say. And if you are doing what I ask you to do, then, you, then I know that you love me. Isn't that true as parents? You know, our kids can tell you whatever they want. Oh, yeah, Mom, Dad, I love you. Well, then why don't you just do what we ask you to do? Because if you do what we ask you to do, we know that you love us, and we know that you're listening to us, and we know that you respect us, and we know that we have a place of authority in your life. But when you say, oh, yeah, but Dad, you know I love you. Hey, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. Maybe this is what you need to do to demonstrate it. Would you please act upon that which we're telling you? Then we know for sure. See, God's no different. He's saying, hey, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And if you don't love me, you'll disobey my commandments. And there'll be signs or evidence that you, you got your priorities messed up and that I don't come first, even though you may say that I do. So don't be deceived, folks. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. Don't kid yourself. And I can't kid myself. I need to look at this evidence that we're going to see. And I need to measure it against my performance and to see whether I measure up or not or whether I fall short. And if I fall short, then I need to do something about it in a proper way to make sure that my priorities get in line again and that I put God first in my life once again. You know, what's interesting is that I, I spoke to a, a group of high school students the other day, and one of the things that I tried to get across to them was, you know, we're, we're so concerned sometimes in life about what other people think of us. Particularly when we're younger, there's that strong peer pressure. We're worried about what people will think about the things that we do. And, and, and I can understand it, but you know what's interesting is, is that, that that rarely goes away. Even though we get older, uh, we still have a concern about what other people think of the things that we do. And there's that peer pressure even as we grow older. And so what was kind of interesting, I just threw something at, and I want you to consider this too as well. But see, you know, we got all these high school students that are so concerned about what their peers think of them. But in reality, how many of you in here still hang around with people that you went to high school with? Can I see some hands? Anybody still have a high school friend to hang around with? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. What, maybe 5% of the people that are here? Now, you remember when you were in high school and how important it was what those people thought of you? Do you care now? No. Why not? Because they're not in your life anymore, necessarily. So the, the point that, that I try to make and the point that I want to make today is that, you know what, it really doesn't matter what other people think of us. But it does matter what God thinks of us. See, because, see, God is our ever constant in our life. He is ever present, he is ever constant, and he's the one that we give accountability to. He's the one that we answer to. So the real important thing is, as we decide what we're going to do in life as far as our actions are concerned, 
The important thing is to always funnel it through, what will God think of what I'm about to do? Because he's the one I give an account to. Not necessarily the people around me, although we are accountable to one another and there are certain consequences if we violate one another's trust and things of that nature. But the reality of everything that we do has to be funneled through the fact that, hey, what will God think of what I'm about to do? And when we understand that as a culture once again, all of a sudden behavior takes a whole new turn because it's not what will my teacher think or a coach think or a parent think or another student think or another person think or another business associate think. No, no longer does that make any difference anymore because they may not see what you're going to do. They may not even know what you did, but God does. And when we put God back in his proper place in our culture again, he begins to change our, our, our lifestyle and our actions because you know what? While man may not see what we do, God sees it all. And one day we give an account for everything that we did. So as we look at this, I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we go through this because the first thing that we saw last time we were together, seven signs of financial bondage or signs or conditions that, you know what, our life is messed up and our priorities are out of whack and God doesn't come first, is the fact that in the area of finances, we begin to avoid our debts. Now, we covered that in great detail, so I'm not going to do it again. But in our, in our last session, we saw that in Psalm 37, 21, the Bible says that the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And, the, and the, the whole point or the simple point of the message is this, that when we have an obligation financially, we pay our debts. And we saw that we do it in three ways. Number one, we do it with the right attitude. We thank God for the resources that he's blessed us with so that we can honor our obligations. But we need to honor the obligations nonetheless. We do it recognizing, well, you know what? While man may find loopholes in how the man can get out of owning up to those obligations, for example, bankruptcy and things of that nature, some legal mechanism to somehow say, I'm no longer responsible for that action anymore, and I found a legal mechanism to get me out of it. Well, don't ever confuse our laws for God's laws. Don't ever confuse our legal mechanisms for what God has to say. Because, you know what, there are a lot of things that we look at at our laws or not laws in our country that violate moral biblical principles. So don't ever jump on that one and say, hey, you know what, well, I don't agree with this law over here because it violates God's moral biblical principles or moral principles, but this law over here I, I agree with right now because it's getting me out of a jam I'm in. So what he's saying is that we have a responsibility and we're to honor our debts. We're still accountable to God for our promises and for our actions. So God asks the question of you and me, do you owe? If yes, then repay and do it with the right attitude. And we'll take a look at that. You know, if God's number one in your life, you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, you'll do what he tells you to do. You obey his commandments. He says you owe, you repay. Now, when we talk in a couple of, a couple of sessions from now uh, on how to get out of debt, you know, I want to share with you because I know there's some of us who, who are frustrated beyond belief because we've gotten ourselves into a mess and we're not sure how we're going to get out of it. And so these things that come up in our, in our legal system as far as bankruptcy and other things or some way to get out of the jam that we're in seem very attractive and they're very tempting because we don't know what else to do. Well, don't, don't make any rash decisions or any moves in that direction. Honor your debts, and God will honor you, and we'll find ways that are pleasing before God to somehow or another get out of the mess that we're into, and we'll look at that when we get into the sessions on how to get out of debt. So, so the first thing that we need to look at is you know, avoiding our creditors is a sign that things just aren't right in our life. Hey, and if you can pay back your debts, do it right away. Do it right away, Okay. Second sign of financial bondage or a sign that our priorities are messed up is um, 
you know, by the way, these aren't, exact, these aren't in any kind of order as far as order of significance. So if you're thinking, well, that's the worst, no, they're all pretty much tied. In fact, the second one is this, acting dishonestly. Second sign of financial bondage is acting dishonestly. Deceiving others for the purpose of economic gain. The Bible is filled with examples of men and women who deceived others for the purpose of economic gain. Can you think of any off the top of your head? I'm sorry, who? Who? Charles Keating. Now, that's, that's, uh, that's post-biblical times. No, that's okay. But that's a good example. Now, I didn't know if that was... Now. But he could have had an ancestor, and you know, and I think he was related to. I think he was related to Esau. That's what it was. You're thinking of Esau. He was related to Esau. This is somewhere down the line. Yeah, okay, dokie. All right. See, that's a bad thing about you know when you want to. I ask these questions, and you volunteer, and then you feel bad, and, and I don't want to make anybody feel bad. So yes, you can find the Charles Keating incident in Genesis chapter uh, forty-one. Any others? Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, that's a good example. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, the story is basically that uh, they were giving money to the church, and uh, they said, hey, we got a piece of property, and we sold this piece of property, and here's all the money that we got from selling the piece of property. But it turned out that they held back, and it wasn't all the money that they got. And what was interesting about it is that they didn't have to give it anyway. They put themselves in a position to give it because they wanted everybody to know they were giving it, and they didn't have to give it if they didn't want to give it, and when it was their property, in fact, you know, they, they were asked, well, wasn't it in your possession at the time, and you could have did whatever you wanted with it? But what they did was they sold it, and they held back on some of the money, and they came to the church and said, look what we did. We sold our property, and aren't we great, and we're giving you everything that we got from the sale of the property. No, you aren't. Why? Because God knew, and God held them accountable. But they deceived others for the purpose of economic gain where they were holding back on it. But I think even more important than that, what they were trying to do was they were trying to look good in front of people and they weren't honest before God. How about Jacob when he deceived Isaac? And Jacob wanted to get the birthright from his father. So what he did was his brother was a hairy dude and and he wasn't quite as hairy. So he put a little hair all over his arm and stuff. And his dad was getting old and couldn't really see that well. And he touched out and felt this old hairy thing right here. Said, hey, it must be Esau. And it was Jacob. And he got his blessing from him. But he deceived him for the purposes of economic gain because the eldest child who got the birthright was the one who received the greater economic gain from it. So he deceived his father. And what's bad about the whole mess is, is that it kept getting worse in their family. Because if you remember the story, you know, and uh, Jacob goes out and he works for Laban, his uncle, for the, daughter, uh, for, the, for the hand of his daughter. And what happened? Jacob works for seven years because he wants to marry Rachel, the daughter that he's working for. So he works for seven years. It's wedding night. She comes walking out in a veil. They get married. The veil's lifted up, and he goes, Oh! <laughs> it's not what I thought it was going to be. And he found out it wasn't the daughter that he worked for. It was her sister. And, and, the, and, and the Bible describes her as a big, cow-eyed woman. Now, you know, I'm sure it's a cultural thing, but, you know, I'm not sure if, they, you know, Jersey made was what he was looking for. But, but that's what he got. And so what happened was he worked for seven years and was ripped off by this man. And he said, okay, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I did that, but you know how it is, how dad is. Sometimes you want to get rid of the one that you think is going to be harder to get rid of. And so, hey, I did that. But, hey, if you want the other one, you can work for me again for another seven years. 
And so he did. He worked for another seven years. Now, what was the purpose of this act of deceit? Well, it was economic gain, wasn't it? He got this guy to work for him for 14 years, basically for free, and promised him something that he never delivered. That's pretty interesting. The purpose of all of the deceit was what? Economic gain. Now, does that struggle still exist in our culture today? Let's see if we can make a huge leap forward and make some cultural bridge here. 1986, we bought a, we bought a home. And uh, we got a great deal on the house. As it turned out, the people that we bought it from were going through a divorce, and we didn't even know they were going through it because that's one of those things that you don't really want to disclose if you're trying to keep the price where you want it to be. But anyway, they were in a jam, and they were trying to get out of this house. And we bought this house, and we got a good deal on the house. And it turned out, as, as, uh, as we found out, that the people were going through a divorce, and we didn't even realize it until the day we went to do the walkthrough on the house. And we pulled up in front of our house, and we were parked there, and we were waiting for the guy to come to do the walkthrough for us. And, uh, and the garage door was wide open. And he came up, and he had this look on his face, like, how'd you get the garage door open? He asked, and I said, we didn't get the garage door open. When we pulled up, the garage door was already open. And he got this look on his face, like, uh-oh, something's not right. And he goes running in the house, and he just turns white as a ghost. And while he was on a business trip, his wife or ex-wife-to-be came with the moving trucks and took everything, except for the pile of his clothes that were in the middle of the floor and this ugly ornamental firepiece thing that was part of his family heritage or something, and she did leave that for him. But he had this look on his face like, ugh. Now, it wasn't the best time to ask him if he had the instructions for the microwave. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it kind of put a little crimp on the fact that we were so excited about buying this house. But anyway, he calls about, oh, after we're in the house for a couple of months. And I think his sole purpose for living at this point, because things were going so bad in every other area, he called, and it was like the night after the first big Santa Ana wind storm that we had. And the house that we we're living in sits kind of up on the hill in Orange, and and, and our, our house, the back of the house, is all facing east. And the street goes right up to it, and the winds come right down that street. And when we moved in the house for a couple miles, oh, it was great, and then, and then the same winds hit. And the whole back of the house became the front of the house. I mean, it was like, what in the world was going on? The windows were rattling, everything was shaking, the drapes, the, the, the window coverings are blowing, stuff blowing in the house, you know. And, and it was like, man. I'm at the office the next day, and this guy who sells us the house calls me. And this is what he said. And, and, and the secretary said, it's so-and-so on the phone. I'd love to give his name right now, but I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's so-and-so on the phone. So I pick up the phone, and I'm wondering, what's going on? And he says, hey, how'd you like those wins last night? <laughs> I was like, that was all he had to live for. It was like, now, what? Now, I don't remember ever having a conversation with you about how bad the winds are. Well, of course not. Why not? Well, it may affect whether you would have sold the house, huh? I had a friend who lived on the East Coast. And on the East Coast, you got a different problem. It's called basements. And when basements are on, oh, I see, I see some of you shaking your head. What usually happens with basements on the East Coast? They leak if you're selling the house. They flood if you're buying the house. <laughs> and, and I had a guy tell me a story, true story. He said he was trying to sell his house and he had a basement in the house. So what they had to do was they had to seal up all the walls and, and they took care of all the water spots that were on it, all the water lines from every time it fills up in the wintertime. 
and, uh, and repainted all of it, and then they were selling it. It was late spring, early summer. And so they were walking through the house with some prospective buyers, and they were walking through, and his little daughter was there, and as they walked into the basement, she said, Look, Dad, you can't see the water lines anymore. And then what happened was, you know, after they left, he took her aside and he kind of gave her a hard time about it. He reprimanded her, chewed her out. And she started to cry. So she goes to her room and he says like a couple hours later, he comes back, she comes back to talk to him and she says, Daddy, I'm, I'm sorry I told the truth about the water marks. <laughs> now, right about there, you're feeling like, eh, I would think, I would hope. But see... Acting this, this deceptively or deceitfully or dishonestly isn't something that's a new problem, is it? For the purpose of economic gain. Are you a slave to money or a slave to God? Do you love money or do you love God? And here are some practical ways that that truth will be demonstrated. Maybe you're thinking you won't be able to sell a house, a car, a boat, or whatever you have for the amount that you want to sell it for, if you what? Tell the truth. Uh-oh. I had a guy call me this past week. He was, he was interviewing for a job, and the prospective employer called and um, was asking me about his references. And as he was sharing all the things that supposedly this guy did, it struck me that he would have had to be about 160 years old to do all the things that he said he did in this short period of time that he was on earth. And so this prospective employer said, you know, let me ask you a question. Does uh, so-and-so have a uh, tendency to embellish the truth? See, isn't that a nice word? Embellish. Sounds kind of like an appetizer. You know? It does. I'll have a, uh, we'll have the embellishments. Um, you know? And, and, and maybe some wings with the embellishments. You know, it sounds like such... But what he was really asking was, does this guy lie or what? Well, you know, if there's one character flaw that stands out in our conversation today, it would seem like embellishment would be one of his character flaws. But why did he do that? Because he was afraid that if he just told the truth, he wouldn't be qualified, and he wouldn't get the job, and there was some economic gain that was attached to it. See, so he sacrificed the truth for economic gain. Maybe you won't qualify for a loan if you disclose all of your debts. Maybe you won't qualify for a loan if you don't get a gift from someone that has the money to give you to put into your account so it looks like you have more assets than you really have and you don't disclose that the gift has to be paid back. Huh. Why? Why do we do that? Because we want to benefit economically somehow, right? So the question that you have to ask yourself is, do I love God or do I love the God of money? Well, I sacrifice the principles of God, in this case, honesty, for the benefits that I think I'll get by being deceitful. Interesting. Maybe you won't be able to get an investor in your business if they really see the state of your finances. 
was interesting, I, I was part of a large corporation at one time and I learned very quickly that there's always three sets of books for major corporations. There's uh, the one set of books that are used for paying income taxes. There's another set of books that are used for the information that they want to share with their shareholders. And there's the third set of books, which are always the most distorted ones and never show any kind of profit, and that's what they use to pay bonuses for performance to employees. <laughs> but uh, so somehow or another, you know, that's kind of the way that it is. And, and, and you ask a question, you go, man, you know what? This whole thing of acting dishonestly or deceitfully is a very real problem. Maybe you're selling a vehicle, and the odometer stopped working three years ago. But you swear you haven't driven it since. Okay. I saw a thing in a paper yesterday. It was pretty funny. Before our son started college in another city, the college basketball coach gave him the name of a woman who would rent to students. After she told us on the phone that the apartment was carpeted and freshly painted, we sent her a damage deposit of $780. When we got to the college, we paid the first month's rent and went to the apartment. It was filthy, roach-infested, and unfit to live in. There was no new carpet. There was no paint. The landlord refused to refund our $780. Is this illegal? Or do we need to pursue this in small claims court? Here, I love this answer. Unfortunately, there are unethical people in the world. Some words of advice. Never rent a home or apartment without first seeing the property. Hey, there you go. That's worth some big bucks right there. But these people couldn't think of that on their own. It's like, hey, well, good thing we got that column. Um, but, you know, look a little more personal. How about expense accounts? How about expense accounts? I had a guy call me one time and say, listen, if anyone calls you, tell them we had a great time on Catalina last month. Now, I'm not too stupid. I may be a bit stupid, but I figured it out real quick. Oh, we had a great time on Catalina last month? Then we're going to have a better time on Catalina next month. It's like, come on now, expense accounts, tax evasions, random samples, Christian groups, 25% in a group this size have or continue to deceive in the area of income taxes, acting deceitfully for the purpose of economic gains. You know, I'm in the construction industry. Oh, my goodness gracious. The construction industry is a fascinating industry when it comes to deceiving one another. It's really interesting because, you know, the problem is is that most people don't really know what they're buying when they're dealing with construction companies. And so there's all kind of tricky ways to be elusive about what you're really providing for someone. I'll give you an example. We, we, do, uh, so we do maintenance contracts and things like that where we maintain buildings. And what we found is that typically when you're just upfront and honest and you just give the price, this is what we're going to do for the price that we give you you typically end up competing against people who give them a much lower price and say they'll do the same thing, but they have no intention of doing the same thing because they can't do the same thing because, you know, a cost or cost, and sometimes there's only a bottom line cost that you could do anything for before you start losing money. But what their goal is is to manipulate and deceive somebody for the point of economic gain to say, you know what, yeah, we'll come out four times a year or six times a year. We'll do all these things that are on that list. Oh, absolutely, we're going to do it all. And then you know what happens? They don't do any of it. And what they're counting on is the people that entered into this agreement with them don't know whether they're there or not. They may have somebody show up, but they don't follow them around to see if they're doing everything that's being done. If they're going to do that, they just get somebody of their own company just to be able to do that. So what they do is they trust 
the people they've entered the agreement in to be able to do what they said they're going to do. And they know they have no intention of doing it because they can't do it for the price they said they're going to do it. Or what they'll do is they'll go out and they'll bid a contract. And they'll miss some things in the contract and they'll give them a low ball price so that they get the contract. And then what they do is they plan on making everything up in extras. Oh, well, we didn't discuss that. That's not included. We didn't discuss that. That's not included. That's not included. That's not included. That's not included. By the time all these things that weren't included are now included, they find out they're paying 20% more than the person that was going to include all those things. And you get in this game that you start to play in the business that you're in on trying to figure out some creative way to be able to get work for the purpose of economic gain while sacrificing everything that's important in your life. And our principal philosophy is simply this. We're just going to be bluntly honest with people. And we'll make sure everything is compared apples for apples the best we can. But you know what? After that, it's in God's hands. And if we get the work, we get the work. If we don't get the work, we don't get the work. And you know what? Eventually, deceit always is exposed. But there's pride involved, too. So the person that made that decision sometimes is too proud to admit they made a mistake. So you kind of get left out of the loop. But the nice thing about that loop is, is that God's in control of the loop anyway. So there's some real comfort in knowing that. You know, I don't know what size trees are. I mean, there are a lot of things. I don't know when somebody comes to fix our washer or our dryer, whether they're really doing anything or not. I know in air conditioning whether we're doing what we say we're going to do, and God holds me accountable to that. But I don't know if I take my car in to get fixed. I had a guy talk to me the other day. He said he got a great deal on a truck. Because he went in and he, he buys at an auction and he has a wholesale lot. He said he went in, he bought this truck, and, he, and it turned out he bought the truck for half price. And you know why he bought the truck for half price? Because the people that he, the guy who previously owned the truck, took it in to get fixed, told him he needed a whole new transmission and valve job, everything. It's going to cost him four thousand bucks. They said it's not worth it. Why don't we just trade it in and we'll get another vehicle? So a guy trades it in. He gets another vehicle because he didn't want to spend all this money. So now this this truck is on auction at this yard, and the guy buys this truck has his mechanic look at it, and the mechanic said, there's nothing wrong with the transmission, there's nothing wrong with the valves. What's wrong with it? You know what? The only thing I find wrong is it needs a fuel pump. $68 fuel pump. The guy who sold the truck or traded in lost $8,000. Why? Because he didn't know. My whole point is this. We can't protect ourselves from people that want to take advantage of us. But God help us if we become the people that take advantage of other people. You see what I'm saying? You're accountable before God, and I'm accountable before God to do what's right before God. I can't protect myself necessarily. I can be as intelligent a consumer as you can. things and check references and do all those things to protect yourself. But all that I'm concerned about today is this. If you love God, you will not act deceitfully for the purposes of economic gain. But you'll do right before God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 16. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination to the Lord your God. Wow. What do you do? First of all, recognize what God has to say about deceitfulness. 
It's an abomination before God. It's wrong before God. Don't buy into, but that's what you have to do in your business to be able to get work. That's the only way it works anymore. Hey, you know what? It isn't the only way it works. God's ways still work. The problem is not many of us are trying it this way to find out that they really do. God's ways still work. And we need to recognize it and understand it. Micah 6.11 says, Can I justify wicked scales in a bag full of deceitful weights? I mean, can I justify before God that I'm deceiving other people? That I've got a double standard of how I conduct myself in an in a, in a ethical manner? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that what he, that's what he reaps. We need to recognize what God has to say. You know what else we need to do? And maybe this is tough because this is homework time. Maybe we need to make restitution where it's due. Make restitution where it's in order. Maybe you've taken advantage of somebody in your business or in some other way. And you know what? And you know you've deceived them. Maybe you need to go back to them and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. And I need to make that right. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, a sign or evidence of a person that's come into a relationship with God is that old things pass away, all things become new, man. There's a new way of looking at life. And what happened with Zacchaeus was he said this, you know, he was a tax collector and he ripped people off all the time. And he said taxes were X and he kept all the extra and he fed to Rome the things that were Rome. And he kept all the rest that he could skim off the top. And he said, you know what? He said, if, if, I've, if I've ripped anybody off, and, and the word if in Greek means since I've done that and since it is so, and I'm guilty of it. He said, since I've done it, I'm going back to him. I'm going to pay back to him four times that which I've taken from him. I need to make this right before God. I need to have a clean conscience before God. You know what the wonderful thing about making restitution is? When you go to a person and you have to own up in front of them and you look them face to face and say, I've stolen from you. I'll tell you what, the look on their face and the hurt that you see will change your heart in an instant. And it'll be a long time before you ever want to do that again. I'll guarantee you that. When you're wrong and you have to go back and make restitution in any area of life, part of that restitution is facing that person so that you can see the damage that you've caused. And man, when that hits your heart and sinks in deep, it'll be the last time that you ever want to cheat or lie or steal from anybody ever again. Make restitution where it's possible. And in the future, resist. Hey, resist being deceitful in the future. Resist it. It's interesting the lessons that you learn. True story. We did an installation. We put air conditioning in a guy's house not too long ago, probably a couple months ago. And uh, my partner called me from the job and said, Chuck, man, this, this unit, man, is just a piece of junk. I said, well, what's the matter with it? He said, it's got about seven leaks in it. And the, in, in, in the coil inside the air conditioner outside, there's a coil that's in there. It had all kind of leaks, and it was leaking all over the place. He said, uh, you know, we've got all the leaks fixed. We've welded them all, and it's not leaking, and the owner's not here, so he doesn't know the difference. He said, but I just don't, I, I just don't think that we should sell this to him. I said, I agree with you. So I'll tell you what we'll do. Come back later today. I'll call him at his office, and I'll tell him what we did, that we put in a unit that we're not happy with, and we wouldn't want it at our house. It had all these leaks in it. It's fixed. It's running. It was like 90-some degrees then, but at least he can enjoy the air conditioner while we order him a new unit. So if it takes a week or two weeks or whatever it takes before we get it, at least he can enjoy his air conditioning system. We'll come back later and we'll change it out and put a new one. So I called the guy at his office and said, hey, everything's up and running. He said, oh, I know. I went home for lunchtime, man. It's working great, man. You guys did a great job cleaning it. Oh, it's great. I said, yeah, but there's a problem. He goes, oh, what happened? I said, well, the unit's working fine, but we want one in our house. And there's this long pause at the other end. I said, so what we're going to do is you keep it until we get you another one and we'll just come out and replace it. And, and no, no charge to you or nothing. I mean, it's, it's, that's our responsibility. Well, even the manufacturer has a problem with that because it's like, well, you said it, you know, we can't just give this person a new one. No, you don't understand. It's not an option. You're getting them a new one. 
and we do enough business with you that we're not listening to this nonsense about, well, that's policy and stuff. Well, policy and rules and stuff like that were just guidelines, but we're, we know better than that. So it's like, oh, okay, I get your point. So we just, we go back and we change it out. This guy can't figure us out from nothing. He didn't see it. He didn't know it. He didn't recognize what was going on. But you know what? God did. You see how knowing that God watches everything we do keeps us honest in everything that we do in business? Every job that we do, we, 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 we just recognize that God's watching. Whether the, the customer sees it or knows it or not, it doesn't really make any difference. If we're going to substitute something, it's going to be of equal or greater value. That's just the way it is. We're not going to buy, sell something you're going to get something and then substitute something of lower quality because we can make a little bit more margin on it. Hey, it's going to be of equal or greater value, and they may have to substitute it because of unavailability or whatever time constraints, and that happens all the time. So, you know, we have to have that flexibility. But the reality or the driving force behind everything that we do is that we know that God sees everything. How about you? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Is your life driven by that? Do you recognize how true that really is? If you do, it will affect your actions. If you love God, then you obey His commandments. If you love God, He comes first. And all these other things take care of themselves. The service industry... We have friends who are in St. Louis playing for the Rams. They still have a house here in Orange. And they have a gardener or a gardening service that's supposed to be taking care of their property. And you know what? They are doing a crummy job. And you know why they're doing a crummy job? Because they know the owner isn't there. But what they don't know is the owner has friends that keeps track of stuff like that. Calls them and says, your gardeners are slacking off. And the reason they're slacking off is because they don't think you know they're slacking off. So... What I would do is call them and tell them to get back at it and do a good job. But you see how every industry, the point is, I don't care what you do for a living. Every one of us have the possibility of deceiving others for the purpose of economic gain. And we need to recognize that we are not to be like the rest of the world. We're in the world, folks, but we're not to be of the world. You know, what a wonderful testimony that is to people that do business with you when they see that you're not motivated and driven just by profits or margins, but you're driven by providing quality services, by integrity and honesty and ethics and morals and things that this world doesn't even know exist anymore. See, (laughs) a city set on a hill can't easily be hidden. We're to be light in the world. And, man, you know what? I'm thinking, we just covered this one. And we just covered the last one last time. Are we ever going to get through these seven? And then I'm thinking, man, you know what? I don't know if I can handle more than just one at a time. Think about this. If this is the only homework you got, it's enough, isn't it? It's enough. If you work on paying back what you owe, and you work on doing right and maybe even make restitution for what you've stolen, and those, th- those two things can change your life and head you in the right direction as far as finances are concerned. And you know what? And God gets his proper place as being number one in your life because if you love him, you'll obey his commandments. Let's pray.
Father, thanks for this time to be together. Just thank you for your word, for the relevancy of it. God, we just pray that um, in every area, as we're tempted to do those things that violate your standards, that we'll recognize that there's a price to pay. And how true it is that we can't love both God and money at the same time. Because it seems like the two are in opposition to one another. God, your principles and your truth are very clear. They're understandable. They're difficult at times to apply. But we just pray that you always give us the strength and the courage to do what's right before you. And God, may we take advantage as we do these things to be able to share with the world that we're motivated by different forces than the rest of the world. That as Jesus said, money is fleeting. Rust destroys and moths destroy and thieves break in and steal. And when it's all said and done, we're not going to have our bank books or checkbook registers or any kind of account before you and say, look what we've done in this area. Somehow or another, may that be pleasing to you. God, may we use the resources that you've given us for your goals and your purposes, that may we do it in a way that's honest and ethical and morally responsible before you. And we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its life-changing principles. We thank you as you convict us and uh, encourage us to do what's right, that you reveal those blind spots to us so that we can become people who better represent your kingdom while here on earth. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. A um, couple things real quick before you leave. Not very far.